Let's talk about your next patient. Okay. The next patient is more of a typical story, 68-year-old heavy smoker. Uh, Unusual aspect, he did have DCIS of the right breast, but that was at a remote time, and he presented in May of this year with a pathologic hip fracture. And subsequent biopsy of the hip at the time of surgery was notable for a poorly differentiated carcinoma that only stained positive for pancaritin, CK7, and MUC1, negative for CK20, TTF1, CK5 and 6, and P63, as well as mammoglobin, ER, and PR. And his imaging workup was notable for a two-centimeter right lower lobe mass associated with hilar and mediastinal adenopathy. And we're seeing him after he had rotting of his femur, and is just completing radiotherapy to think about his systemic therapy. What's his current physical status and performance status? He's a guy who has fairly advanced COPD and is oxygen dependent, although at the time we saw him in the office today, he was off oxygen. He gets around independently. He's just thinking about starting driving again. So his ECOG performance status, I would say, is around a solid one, I think. So before we get into the specifics of his treatment, I've got to ask you, how is the DCIS in a man? I'm not sure I've heard about yeah. that. How is yeah. it picked up? A palpable mass. Wow. A pal- yeah. And no invasion, just DCIS. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So Tom, how would you be thinking through his lung cancer at this point? So in looking at him, I was impressed that he has recovered very nicely from his hip surgery. He was up and around and able to ambulate, which is good, almost finished with his radiation, which is great. And so, you know, in looking at him, he seems to me to be someone who would benefit from chemotherapy. A bevacizumab-containing regimen certainly is reasonable. There's no reason to believe that this is a squamous cell carcinoma. And I think that carboplatin, paclitaxel, and bevacizumab is certainly reasonable. We also talked about carboplatin and pemetrexid and bevacizumab as being reasonable options as well. And I think you could make a strong argument for either of those two approaches for this gentleman. I think that what perhaps persuaded me and Neil certainly felt a little more persuaded is the slightly more undifferentiated nature of his tumor, the fact that it wasn't a frank adenocarcinoma, nor was it a frank squamous cell, but the more undifferentiated nature might push you more toward a taxane in first line. And I agree with Neil. I think I would be more inclined to use a taxane. I guess the question I'd push back to Neil is, is it a Braxane or is it Paclitaxel? Well, I think that Unfortunately, from our perspective, it comes back to a logistics issue in that we can't get abraxane reimbursed for long. And it's, from my perspective, a much easier taxane to use. And some of the early data looks terrific. So if I could use it, I think I would use it more. I don't know what your feelings are. Just from ASCO that we saw that it, it looks like it's got a slightly better response rate than traditional taxane. Tolerability seems like it may be slightly better. And I've used it a couple times on clinical trial yeah. patients, but you must use it a lot of breast all, all cancer. The time, all the time in breast. And so it'll be, it'll be curious to see what the adoption of Abraxane will be. I do think you're right. I think that it depends upon reimbursement. And I think that if doctors fear they won't get reimbursed for it, I think it won't be used until then. But that's a very good point. I guess you're referring to Mark Sosinski's presentation at ASCO, Tom, in terms of yes. looking at NAB. Any thoughts about, and there have been these hints that maybe it's a little more efficacious in breast cancer. Any ideas about why it might be? There have been these hypotheses about Spark and albumin. Yeah, I mean, if you believe that the albumin formulation allows it better penetration into tumors, that's certainly possible. And the response rate difference was impressive. Unfortunately, the trial was not designed to look at survival. You know, there was no survival data or PFS data presented. I don't think there's any reason for people to think it's going to be worse in those two areas. But I think that that will be interesting to see. And certainly 
could help push docs who are worried about cost issues a little bit more toward using it, if that's the case. The one thing from Neil Love's standpoint, I don't obviously do any breast cancer, but I have been impressed that the breast cancer docs have been resistant to use the drug because of cost. And it's funny because oncologists tend not to be driven by cost all that often. You know, we don't seem to have any trouble using cetuximab in colorectal cancer or even lung cancer, but we seem to draw the line on abraxane in breast. And I've never quite fully understood why we do that. Neil, do you have a thought about that or, or why docs draw the line with this? I don't have a problem with it. I think it's in large part simply habit in the fact that there have not been major problems with Taxol in most patients. And because it's what we're used to using, we tend to continue to use it. But the lingering reimbursement issues, I think, are what hold it back, exactly akin to the lingering issues of concern about aronotecan in first line in, in colorectal in the adjuvant setting has held that drug back. Is sometimes these idiosyncratic and unrelated concerns, I think, hinder the integration of a medicine. Any other comments about this man? I know he's a patient. I guess you're taking care of his wife also. Yes, his wife had inflammatory breast cancer. So that's three husband-wife partners we've seen today. Something in the water in Fairfield. (laughs) 